going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. It's a little piece of news from the last week or so that I wanted to revisit here. The federal government committing $168.5 million to the contentious Spring Bank Dam project despite a federal environment review still being incomplete and still a lot of strong opposition for the project. Joining us now on the program to uh, try to sell us, I think, on this whole idea, Environment Minister Shannon Phillips. Uh, Minister, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. What is the key message from the provincial government on this? Because this has been a contentious issue for a lot of people to the west of this city. Well, uh, certainly... Uh, we need to. Uh, it doesn't take much to remember 2013 and to remember the thousands of Albertans and their families uh, that were their whose lives were forever changed by the 2013 flood. Uh, you know, uh, livelihoods were uprooted. Five people died. Uh, we can't go through this again. Um, the only way to get this done, and the only way to truly protect Calgarians, is upstream mitigation, and that's why we've been steadfast in our commitment to the Springbank Dry Dam. Why not McLean Creek? Well, you know, I, uh, when uh, I assumed uh, uh, the uh, portfolio of environment and parks, uh, uh, we went and did a cost-benefit analysis between uh, Springbank, Offstream Reservoir, and McLean Creek. Uh, and uh, the previous government had done that work, and uh, uh, we went back and took a second look at it. It only took us uh, a couple of months to do that. And uh, within that time, uh, we found uh, that uh, both on cost, public safety, uh, timelines, and environmental risks on all of those uh, uh, key indicators, SR1 uh, was the, the better project. Springbank remains the better project. Uh, the reason for that is uh, uh, it's, it's easier to construct. Uh, it has uh, far fewer uh, environmental assessments associated with it. It, it takes into account a uh, lot less uh, sensitive ecological terrain. Uh, it is closer to the mountains. It's more likely to trap rocks and trees. It puts the structure and its operations at risk. Uh, the uh, Springbank diversion structure is is uh, a far better way uh, to protect 1.3 million Calgarians from another uh, uh, 2013 flood event. Uh, and so, for all of those reasons, uh, that was the project that was chosen, and that's why it's in uh, it's uh, in, in regulatory review process now. When it comes to the opposition to this project, could the province have handled it any differently in your eyes to maybe get more buy-in so that there wasn't this contentiousness to the issue? Well, you know, I, I question on how contentious it really is. Uh, uh, 1.3 million Calgarians want to see flood protection for their city. The mayor and council want to see flood protection for their city. Citizens of Elbow Park and elsewhere want to see flood protection for their own homes, their own families, and their own livelihoods. Uh, you, you know, we had uh, Canada's economic engine uprooted by uh, by the flood. and uh, uh, But it, it, that's why it is so bizarre, in fact, that Jason Kenney has said he's not committed uh, to Spring Bank. He said he might have a position. Uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, he is one person. And on the other side of this conversation, there's 1.3 million people who would like their livelihoods protected. I don't really see that as a controversy. I see that as a leader who's uh, not particularly uh, uh, committed uh, to representing people in Calgary Elbow or to representing people in Calgary All Told. Uh, I'll challenge the notion that it's just one party because there are groups on the on the west side of the city who have been saying that, hey, we wanted more 
consultation. We wanted to see this picture uh, a lot sooner and a lot more clear than what was presented. And I'm curious as to uh, why he took the political stance on that side of it, because it, it, this is something that is uh, there have been groups that have been going against this from the onset, not just the Jason Kenney UCP party. Right. Well, I'm going to take a step back here because as Minister of Environment and Parks, uh, it was my job to uh, consider both options. Uh, and then uh, uh, we, as a, uh, uh, as a cabinet and a government, move forward with protecting Calgary uh, with the Springbank option. So it is now in a regulatory process. And so, uh, of course, those conversations are ongoing uh, within the, the context of the regulatory process. I will note uh, that uh, Minister Mason uh, announced uh, just this afternoon uh, that there was uh, yet another acquisition of uh, uh, land uh, and, uh, in moving forward the um, uh, the Springbank project, uh, and so that is good uh, because uh, what we want to be able to do is give the citizens of Calgary uh, the peace of mind that they deserve. Um, because upstream mitigation work uh, needs to start now, uh, because we know uh, that uh, if the worst happens, we want to be able to say as a government, and and Rachel Motley's been very clear on this. She wants to be able to say we're ready, uh, not we're sorry. I don't think that there's anybody who, in, especially in Calgary, who's saying, hey, this is a bad idea. Like, the, clearly, we do need some sort of upstream mitigation here. I am curious, though, and I'll use the, the example of, say, the residents of Redwood Meadows. What are you, what's your main message to them as they have some concerns about, you know, let's say, for example, if a flood were to happen, there are worries that they are going to be cut off from being able to get away from that area because of flood waters. I absolutely. So uh, Redwood Meadows uh, and Bright Creek, uh, so when we made the announcement uh, in October of 2015, uh, we were keenly aware that uh, citizens in both of those areas were also uh, uh, concerned about flood mitigation. And so that is why uh, we committed $33 million to uh, uh, mitigation for those communities as well uh, as moving forward on the SR1 project. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the future and what you have in mind in terms of uh, processes, are we going forward on this sooner rather than later or walk us through the timeline here? Well, uh, the, the project is within a regulatory process right now. Uh, so that is a joint regulatory review. Uh, and uh, after that, then uh, the, the, uh, the funds are there, uh, they're committed from the provincial government uh, to move forward with this project. Now, this is a project uh, that uh, is an infrastructure investment uh, uh, by the climate leadership plan. And so perhaps that's why Mr. Uh, uh, Kenny is waffling on it, uh, because he, he doesn't know how he's going to pay for it if he cancels Alberta, Alberta's climate leadership plan. Uh, but uh, certainly what we see him doing is, uh, uh, you know, he's got, uh, he's saying that he, he doesn't support it. He's got candidates who do. Uh, so you've got a little bit of crosstalk happening. Uh, that doesn't give uh, the people of Calgary Elbow or anywhere else a whole lot of comfort uh, at this point. Uh, and that's why uh, we as a government have been very, very clear that the only way to truly protect Calgarians is via upstream mitigation, and and this particular project is both the most cost-effective, uh, the most uh, uh, environmentally appropriate, uh, and uh, uh, comes with it the fastest timelines to completion. As minister in charge of a couple of files that have has gained a lot of, con- I'll use Bighorn as an example. This one, is there something that, over the last four years have you learned something about the power of consultation and being able to, I'll call it win, and I know it's not the right term, but win over. Uh, some of those who have been against some of the things that you've implemented and, and that kind of thing? Oh, 
absolutely. And that's why, uh, you know, I'll give you an example on Indigenous consultation. You know, it's uh, it's so important. Uh, it's so important to uh, foster those relationships and ensure that uh, uh, those conversations are fulsome and that they are based on uh, uh, the honour of the Crown and the treaty relationship. You know, it's one of the reasons why I was so aghast when uh, uh, Jason Kenney came out and said he was going to sell off public land in northern Alberta and uh, uh, didn't even seem to be aware that Treaty 8 uh, chiefs and councils even uh, uh, had any kind of say in that matter. It was uh, just kind of shocking from a guy who had, uh, uh, you know, served as a federal minister. But, um, uh, you know, there are both uh, uh, formal consultation mechanisms and uh, informal. uh, And, uh, you know, you can really get some good places uh, when you do that. I'll give you another example, which is the area in the Porcupine Livingston. So uh, that really iconic ranch land uh, south of so the Longview uh, and west of uh, Longview, north of uh, uh, Pincher and um, and Crow's Nest Path. Beautiful country, right? And the ranchers for a long time had been asking uh, uh, for some some action from the provincial government in terms of uh, managing competing uses and recreational access and people getting in the way of their cattle and then making a living. Uh, we we did some really uh, detailed uh, work with those ranchers, and uh, uh, now we've come to a, a much better place uh, in mm. terms of our responsibility in managing public land. So, you know, there's it, it's not just the stuff in the headlines. There's all kinds of other stuff going on in environment parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you have to uh, keep in mind um, not just our responsibility to uh, uh, leave nature uh, in, in, a, in a state where it you know, makes us all proud as parents, uh, and uh, potentially grandparents, uh, but also that uh, we've really listened to people and we've protected people and upheld that uh, that trust that people put in us. And that's why you know you can't you can't uh, dither on things like upstream mitigation for 1.3 million people in Calgary. The the guiding value has got to be how do we keep people safe and how do we ensure. Uh, that people's uh, uh, livelihoods, businesses, and in fact, lives are appropriately protected. Minister, I'm going to stop it there because we are uh, out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. When I first started hosting the show, one of our first guests was actually Allie McMillan from the uh, one of the community associations here in our city as they were proposing the brand new flyover park. Well, now we have a little bit of clarity with a little bit of funding for that park. Allie joins us now on the program. Thanks so much for the time. Super excited to be here. I can only imagine why you might be just a little super excited. How big of a day is today? Because, I mean, the last time we chatted, this was just uh, not even a pie-in-the-sky idea, but it was certainly something that was uh, kind of forming towards fruition but wasn't quite there yet. Oh, yeah. It's been a lot of hard work for many years um, to have this day come. So, um, yeah, it's it's amazing it's come. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the vision, the plan for Flyover Park and what you envision it to be once it's all complete. Yeah, well, I mean, this the genesis of this project was from the community and a partnership with grade six students at our local school. And those students are now in grade eight and this park will be built when they're in grade nine and and leaving the school with an incredible legacy and the community with an incredible legacy. So, you know, this is a space as a gateway to the community, um, but it hasn't been the most welcoming or safe space. It's basically a little lost space under an overpass. So to be able to envision um, a more, sustainable, welcoming, innovative space um, in such an urban setting is really exciting for us. So, 
How important was it for you to envision something that would be, I'll call it the gateway between downtown and your community? Because uh, like you said, it hasn't been the most desirable of places, but now you can add a little bit of light to it. Exactly. I mean, those connections between communities are so important, especially, you know, Bridgeland being so close to downtown. We have a lot of commuters that walk or bike through that area. And so it's really important that it becomes a a better connection between those two, those two communities. For those who haven't seen the plans or don't know exactly what you have in mind, this is more than just a playground. So walk us through some of the amenities that you hope to see in Flyover Park once it's complete. Absolutely. It's a really innovative project. Um, So innovative, in fact, that we won a National Urban Design Award for the design, as well as a Mayor's Urban Design Award. So it's got everything from an outdoor classroom, amphitheater space, to rain garden where we're treating water off the flyover itself. Um, We've got lots of interesting landscaping, parking for food trucks, and some cool seating areas, as well as some play elements. Um, for kids, like a climbing wall and swings and that kind of thing. You mentioned right off the top that this has been a labor of love for quite a few years now. Walk us through the process and what it's been like over the last few years to uh, try to dream up this idea that is a little different than your average park. Yeah, I think it started with a few community people who thought, you know, this is such a waste of this space. And as we're walking through it, realizing people felt unsafe. And it started with like, hey, let's just pick up some litter. You know, let's pick up the cigarette bags. Let's see if the graffiti can, we can stop the graffiti from happening on this structure. And it, then we bought a $20 ping pong table off to Gigi and put it under there and tried to activate the space with some positive uses. We used the pillars as a chalkboard for people to write messages um, of what they love about our community on that. And so it, it just started at such a grassroots level. We used really cheap interventions of seeding and planters to try and get people to think differently about what this space could be. So I think that's the really rewarding space. It's just or a rewarding part of this project. It's just to see how that's made an impact and how it's brought more people on board to see that this is actually community here. Absolutely. Allie, congratulations on today's announcement and all the best as you guys forge ahead with uh, plans. And eventually uh, we'll be able to talk again and say, hey, it's already and open for business. So uh, again, congratulations and thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much. Appreciate your continued interest in this. Allie McMillan's the planning director for the Bridgeland Riverside Community Association. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Nothing I can ever say will do justice to how I feel about this story out of New Zealand. Uh, All I can do is offer my love and thoughts to the families and also continue to hope that uh, one day people will realize that hatred gets you absolutely nowhere. I'm a big believer in your legacy. And that's a pretty horrific legacy that you leave behind by killing 49 innocent people. And so I think at a time like this, communities need to come together uh, no matter the denomination, no matter the political affiliation and show each other the strength of love. 
So this, this evening between 7 and 8, uh, there's going to be a prayer vigil at City Hall. And one of the organizers is Simon Jamal. And Simon joins us now on the program. Welcome, Simon. Talk a little bit about this evening and the message that you would like to get out to the world from a Calgary perspective. After what happened in New Zealand yesterday, we as a community are just trying to grip with this horrific tragedy. We have no words. Uh, we've just been getting phone calls where grown men and women are just breaking down on the phone, crying. They need to come together. They need to come and, and just cry on each other's shoulder. We need to come together as a community um, with the hopes that maybe sharing our sorrow, sharing our our grief might lessen the burden a little bit. So for that in Calgary, we have organized a prayer vigil at 7 p.m. in Calgary City Hall. We're hoping that people from every community, whether uh, everyone who who has a heart, who, who cares, to know that, you know, some, some terrorists just walked into a mosque where people were just quietly worshipping in peace and and just open open fire and uh, and a lot of us unfortunately accidentally or without even knowing wanting watch the live video of the shooter uh, killing people it was like a video game only it was real and after watching that we were just numb we were devastated we were shaking uncontrollably i mean i didn't sleep all night last night i had people messaging calling like in in fear in anger in complete despair like it this is like the worst tragedy you can possibly think of and and in a place where every everybody thinks it's safe i mean for for god's sake this is christchurch new zealand nothing ever happens there so to 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 for this to happen over there in a place where it was considered so safe it makes us all muslims feel completely unsafe so that's why I just I'm just walking right now out of the uh, Friday prayers right here in Calgary, and uh, the Premier Notley was there. There was police protection right outside the mosque, and the police were telling me, "I wish we could provide security in every mosque in Alberta, but we don't have the resources." But we are here, and it, I just broke down. I broke down that you know this is a place that I go to worship. Every week, you know, people come here five times a day, and all of a sudden we need to be protected from these crazy white supremacist, extreme right-wing violent terrorists. This is, this is unbelievable. And we just, you know, last month came out of the, the anniversary of the Quebec mosque shooting. And, and now this has happened again, only it is 50 times worse. The question then becomes is how do you get people of different faiths to get together and um, stand against this as a united front? You know, anybody who has faith or even doesn't have faith, they know that this was an evil act. They know that when you have hate overcoming so immensely, you need to unite as multi-faith communities. You need to come together. And I know that in tonight's vigil, I've been getting phone calls from First Nations communities. I've been getting uh, phone calls from people who have no faith. You know, they're just calling and saying, we're so sorry to hear this. We'll be there in the vigil. You know, Sama, what can we do? Just tell me what to do. 
so this is how it's been like the the outpouring of support has been it, it it's really been moving but you know that live video just just left us all numb and we 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 shouldn't we shouldn't have seen that and and that's where things went really really dark for a lot of us so you touched on it briefly there but what is the feeling like uh, when you went into your place of worship today, is there a feeling of needing to look over your back? Is there that feeling of where do we go from here? I walked in and I couldn't stop crying. Uh, the first person that saw me, you know, tried to smile, but there was no smile. Um, I actually had somebody call and tell me that I don't think I want my son to go in the mosque today. I don't feel safe. Um, so there is definitely fear, uh, but then when I went in and when the Friday prayer started, the entire hall was full. There was not a, a, a place to sit. So, you know, whatever the, these terrorists were trying to do to scare people, it didn't work. People are still coming out to the mosque and, and people are still wanting to pray and people are still wanting to show solidarity. So despite the fear, despite the utter, utter sadness, people are still gathering together because it's only through prayer and through solidarity and through company of each other can we heal through this. And we're going to be doing that. I know there will be a few people out and about tonight uh, for your event. Simon, thanks so much for the insight today and, and all the best going forward. Thank you. As we head into the election campaign, a lot of questions being raised. But what's true? What's not? Well, we're going to call this the Friday Fact Check. And we bring in Global News reporter Emily Mertz to dive into some of those fact checks that she's been doing. Emily, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Of course. Let's talk about, first and foremost, this idea of fact checking during uh, this upcoming provincial election campaign. Where was this idea born out of? So uh, my boss, who I respect a lot, suggested that given the nature of this uh, campaign, the writ hasn't even been dropped yet, and we're seeing um, some pretty uh, dirty campaign tricks, and we know it's going to get uh, even more um, dramatic and even more uh, confusing. So what we wanted to do basically with this segment is to take certain claims that we're hearing consistently from uh, all parties and special interest groups, dig into those and find where the fact lies within them and give some context to what uh, is prompting these these uh, politicians or special interest groups to say these things. Um, what we're finding is a lot of them have... Um, you know, bits of truth in them, uh, but there's a context that's missing. So we're providing that context. We're trying to do it as neutrally as possible on issues that people are kind of hearing these claims and saying, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right, or, or is that true, or there's got to be more to this than what, what, what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, before we talk, dive into a couple of the main topics that you've gotten into so far, about how long does it take you to get all the information in that proper context so that you can write up uh, the two that I've read so far are pretty pretty thorough. Thank you. Um, it is a huge job, and it's a lot of digging, and it's a lot of reaching out to um, you know all the parties that are involved in each claim uh, for their side of the story, and then also reaching out to experts, uh, digging through old um, government hazards, records, 
you know, it just just facts, historical facts, our past coverage, things like that, and piecing it all together. Um, it's it takes uh, it takes longer than I than I, I wish I could dedicate, <laughs> you know, twenty four seven to it. It deserves that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm trying to focus two days a week, sort of on this specifically. Absolutely. Let's uh, dive into a couple of the big ones. The carbon tax has been one that a lot of people here have been interested in. What was the claim and what did you find? So the claim that we looked into, and I believe that there will probably be more uh, segments on the carbon tax just because it is really misunderstood mm-hmm. and um, and it, it has become such a political uh, election issue. Um, so the one that we looked at already was that the UCP claiming that the NDP hid the carbon tax from Albertans in the 2015 election. Um, and what we found was that indeed the NDP did not mention the carbon tax as a specific mechanism in their uh, election platform heading into that 2015 election, but they did lay out um, a promise to uh, have a strong environmental policy and to address, you know, greenhouse gases. And they they, uh, then launched a panel that would look into what the best approach to that problem would be. Um, And so the UCP's angle is that they knew it was going to be controversial, so they didn't bring it up at all before the vote. Um, and then the NDP saying, we, we didn't have a mechanism in place. We wanted to speak with experts and stakeholders who then advised us that this was the best mechanism. So it's really interesting to see, you know, there's a bit of, you hear both sides and the, the, the truth in it and then, and then going through the background and, and all that. One of the other ones, and this was the latest one that I've seen, is about the abortion claim. The NDP saying that the UCP is going to reopen that debate. Uh, what did you find on that one? So this one is uh, heated, obviously. It's a hugely uh, sensitive uh, social issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the NDP has, uh, the party, has supported three websites that kind of go through Kenny's uh, extensive history personal, political, um, and they've claimed that as an MP, he voted pro-life, he voted pro-family, and has, quote-unquote, been an opponent of a woman's right to choose and would put that under threat in Alberta. Now, just first a background, uh, abortion, as we sort of are familiar with it, has been legal in Canada and accessible in Canada uh, since the 1980s. And that was because of the Supreme Court um, ruling. So uh, while it's a federal jurisdiction, health care and the way it's rolled out and, and provided is a shared jurisdiction between provinces and, and the federal government. So there are ways that provinces can change access or, or a funding, uh, public funding, to uh, an issue like abortion. Um, so the NDP is saying that there are ways that Kenny could either legislate or, or through policy limit um, access to abortion uh, through funding, through requirements, maybe uh, medical requirements before getting approval to have that service, that uh, procedure. Um, and and the uh, UCP has said, Kenny has said in the past that he's not going to bring in legislative measures on this uh, divisive social issue. Uh, and then we approached the UCP and they further clarified saying that uh, UCP government under Jason Kenny would not reopen this divisive social issue. Um, so, and instead focusing on the economy and jobs. So Kenny is, is, is trying to say, even though my members may have, you know, some of the card holding members might uh, view differently, this is not an issue that I want to touch politically. 
so that's an interesting one. Um, there's so much more background and information on our website, too, about mm, this one. Fantastic. Emily, great work and keep it up. Thank you so much. And if you have a fact check suggestion, email factcheck at globalnews.ca. You are going to want to be glued to your radios starting 9 o'clock on Monday because Danielle Smith and Ryan Jesperson will be co-hosting a little bit of a special The Throne speech in the legislature. Could we see the writ drop? Only time will tell. If you're waiting to get your say in on things when it comes to that election, uh, the Citizens Election Panel with Rob Breckenridge. Go to 770CHQR.ca for more details if you want to be a part of that panel. All right. I'm done with politics. Let's let's get away from that. Well, maybe. Maybe. It is the, the Friday chat with Matt. Matt is back. How are you, my friend? You know what? After last week, I'm doing a lot better. I was sick last week. And oh. so I, I took the responsible decision and stayed away from the office because this is a shared space. This is a shared microphone. And <laughs> I came in I came in on Sunday because I need to work. I need to I need I need to pay my bills. Need money. <laughs> and I was wearing a face mask and neoprene gloves and everyone laughed at me and I said, Well, it's You'll Thank me later. <laughs> Everyone very quickly thanked me, but uh, let's get on. To, let's get on to the Friday chat. Yeah, and, and it, you segue really well into it because there has been a lot of talk, and actually, surprisingly, I, I heard a lot of talk about chicken pox being back, oh. uh, which I went okay. And and there's a um, immunization for that now, whereas I grew up without it, and so I've got chicken. I've had chicken pox. I've also had shingles. Not fun. Uh, but that being said, you came across a social media post that you wanted to kind of uh, talk through a little bit here. Walk us through this one. Okay. So um, last night, and this, I love when stuff falls in my laps, and I'm, I'm so ashamed <laughs> to admit that. But last night, a friend shared one of her friend's posts, and that post was talking about how... Uh, how people are upset now with measles coming to Calgary, mm. uh, If you, just in case you hadn't heard, yeah. uh, that you know there are some doctors who aren't willing to give uh, vaccinations right. to children under 12 months because it do- it will it won't work as effectively because the ba- the the child already still has antibodies in them from their mother, mm-hmm. and that all makes very perfect scientific sense. But then this person decided to share oh well if you go to this travel uh if you go to this travel place they'll get your child immunized uh for if you pay out of pocket kind of thing and, I was and like, ahead of the curve and and the the only time that doctors will immunize under 12 months is uh in times of outbreak and right. we're we're not quite there yet but i got into a conversation with them trying to explain to them like is this not the exact same thing as what the anti-vaxxers do? And I know that sounds really extreme. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds really extreme. But the anti-vaxxers want to take care of their children in, what, in the way that they deem best by going against what is typically described as doctor's orders. Right. Which is what this woman was describing. And I made her very upset. <laughs> she, she commented on it and I made her very upset. Did, did she say something about how you're not a parent and you don't know any better? I, you know what? Usually that's how the argument goes. You no, know, I ended the conversation with that, actually. <laughs> I ended the conversation with, I have no stake in the game. I'm not a parent. I'm vaccinated. Um, but I realized at a point that she was getting upset, which meant that I was coming on too aggressively. Right. 
And this is something that we should take. We were running out of time already, but <laughs> I want you to just think about this on your, on your, over your weekend, rather than yelling at people, rather than try making them feel bad for the way they think or anything like that. Mm-hmm. How about instead we talk to them, sit down, have a conversation educate them, learn from them. I know it sounds weird, but you can learn from the flatters, there's the uh, the anti-vaxxers, the people who don't believe in moon landings. Because guess what? They're people too. And you know what? We're not fighting, we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be fighting the anger, the the despair with our hope. Mm-hmm. Be the hope for the f- future. A little empathy goes a long, long way. The Friday Chat with Matt, always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.